everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to be talking about a story that some of you probably heard about. Uh, it first sort of surfaced on my radar last week, the story of a Michigan judge uh, who essentially threw out the laws against female genital mutilation. And I'm not going to give you too many details because the guest I have to explain the story to us is coming right up and she'll do that. And to be completely blunt, the details of this are so grotesque, I'd prefer not to articulate them twice. But uh, the guest we have coming on is Amanda Parker. She works for the I.N. Hersey Ali Foundation. Now, some of you probably recognize the name I.N. Hersey Ali. She uh, was born in Somalia and she fled a forced marriage, ended up in the Netherlands uh, where she eventually became a Dutch member of parliament and she uh, left the Netherlands under uh, threat of her life. Some of you might remember that Theo van Gogh, uh, who was a Dutch filmmaker who made a film with Ian Hersili on the suppression of women in the Muslim world called Submission, and he was stabbed to death by a Muslim radical in the street and they actually stabbed a note. Uh, that constituted a death threat to Ian Hersili directly into her chest, uh, into his chest, pardon me. So she lives under, under nearly round-the-clock guard. And interestingly, uh, she's married to the British historian Neil Ferguson now, uh, with whom she has a couple of children. And she helps to run the Ian Hersili Foundation, which focuses on things like forced marriage and female genital mutilation. And Ian Hersili had uh, tweeted out in, in response to the news that she's not an expert in, in constitutional law, but it just seems so repulsive that a doctor in, in Michigan quite literally got away with mutilating the genitals of several little girls. And so Amanda Parker works for the Ian Hersey Elite Foundation. She works on developing federal and state policy proposals to uh, protect women and girls from practices like uh, honor killings, female genital mutilation, uh, forced marriage, and child marriage. And she actually facilitates trainings on uh, these issues, sort of dealing with the uglier side uh, the uglier side of multiculturalism and having to buck up against just how ridiculous political correctness can be in this day and age. So without any any more details from me, uh, this is my conversation with Amanda Parker of the Ian Hersey Ali Foundation. Just to start off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about this case? It, it seems so shocking on the face of it that it's the sort of thing you read and then assume that you don't have all of the information. A lot of people have been incredibly shocked by the fact that this case brings to light that female genital mutilation is happening in the United States. And those of us who work in this field have known for a number of years, but I think that that your average individual doesn't realize that this is something that's happening in such great numbers here in the United States. And I think that that's that's the first thing that people are surprised by is that there, this is happening here in the United States. Mm -hmm. This case came to light back a year ago, and a doctor, Dr. Nagawala, has been charged with cutting little girls in a clinic outside of Detroit, Michigan. And there are two doctors involved. One is the clinic owner, and one is the, the doctor who has allegedly cut the girls. And there are nine little girls in this case who were cut at around the age of seven, allegedly. And the prosecutors are estimating that as many as 100 girls may have been cut 
by this one doctor in this one community over the last dozen years or so. And I think it's really important for everybody to understand what female genital mutilation is, despite the fact that it's it's very difficult to, to talk about. I remember the first description of it I ever read was in Ian Hersieli's book, uh, Infidel, which I read while I was uh, on a flight to travel. It's not It's not great traveling reading, that's for sure. But most people, sure. like I notice in a lot of the articles, it's sort of just, it's referred to in the shorthand FGM, and a lot of people might not be really aware of what this is, why it's so barbaric, and and why uh, people are so shocked and horrified by the fact that it appears at the moment that that this this doctor may have gotten away with it. I'm so glad you asked because it really is incredibly important that people understand exactly what it is that we're talking about. Female genital mutilation is a practice that's done to control the sexuality of women and girls. And to get a little bit graphic in talking about exactly what it is, generally a girl is taken behind closed doors. In this case, the girls were around the age of seven, but it can happen from infancy till around the age of 15. They're taken behind closed doors. Their knees are held apart. Someone may sit on them to hold them down. And a sharp instrument is used to cut away at their genitals. In the most severe forms, everything external will be removed by cutting away with a razor blade or scissors or whatever sharp instrument is being used by the cutter. And the wound will be sewn shut almost entirely with just a small hole left to allow for urination and menstruation. There are no health benefits that are associated with female genital mutilation and there are lifelong health and psychological consequences that are associated. The World Health Organization actually breaks it down into four different types, and the one that I've just described is the most severe, but even the least physically severe of the types of female genital mutilation that there are can come along with lifelong health and psychological consequences as well. So even in, in a less severe physical form, it's still incredibly harmful. So how is it that something that is essentially like the mutilation of, of somebody's genitals, which which basically, uh, it, it, from from what you've described, sounds like it amounts to, to sexual assault and is being perpetrated on, on young girls in the United States and based on all the news coverage here, uh, sort of across the West. I remember um, uh, Ian Hersey-Lee's book being shocking to me because I am of, of Dutch background. My dad was born there and so to discover that this was happening on kitchen tables and in Amsterdam and Rotterdam was pretty stunning. Why is it that we never hear about something that is so shocking? The press is usually attracted to to, to shocking things. And, and I, I have never seen a North American news report on this until uh, this case came up. This is something that is held very, very deeply underground. And families that are practicing female genital mutilation are very careful to make sure that this is something that is kept underground. This case illustrates that perfectly because the girls that were cut were instructed by parents and by the doctor to not tell anyone this is a secret. And it's, it's something that, you know, even in, in the West where we are more sexually liberal or more open about talking about body parts than in communities that might practice female genital mutilation, it's difficult to talk to about a woman's genitals and, and a little girl's genitals. And there's even more of a taboo in communities where FGM is practiced. And you can imagine that if that already exists, that taboo is already there. So 
plus there's a practice that they know they're not supposed to be talking about, it's something that really doesn't get out. And I think that a lot of people in the United States and North America and Canada think of this as something that's happening somewhere else, you know, if they're aware that it happens at all. A lot of people think of this as a problem that happens in Africa and the Middle East and Asia, and it does, but it also happens right here in North America. So I have to admit that I've gone over this news story several times, and I don't understand quite how a law banning the practice that you just described in such graphic detail, how that this law got declared unconstitutional. Um and and that the charges against these two doctors were dismissed, which, as I understand it, means that they're they're more or less home free on what amounts to the mutilation of of, of little girls. So how 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 did this 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 happen? How did a, how did a law that bans something that seems so obviously wrong um, be be considered unconstitutional? In the United States, Congress, on a federal level, has to have a justification based in the Constitution for how they can pass or for what laws they can pass on a federal level. And because of the way that the United States was founded, a lot of powers were given to the state over the federal government. And things like trying crimes in a lot of cases are done on a state level rather than a federal level. And there has to be a constitutional argument for why something would have a federal law that would cover it. And at the AHA Foundation, we firmly believe that there is constitutional justification for the fact that this law was put into place. And there are a couple of of reasons behind that. One is, is that there are treaties that the United States has signed that makes it so that we should be outlawing female genital mutilation on a federal level. Mm -hmm. Another reason is that we do think that this is something that is part of commerce. It's complicated, um, but the commerce clause of the the Constitution is one reason that is a justification for female genital mutilation. And we're really hoping to see the government will uh, appeal this case. And I, I know that there are really passionate and incredibly bright, dedicated individuals that have been working on this case. And I would be really surprised if we don't see them appeal this. So I'm really hoping that the you know during the appeals process, this will be overruled and, and our law will be put back into place. But if not, we are ready to fight to put in place a new law, and we're also fighting state by state to make sure that there are state laws covering female genital mutilation as well. Because this does sort of seem like a bit of a no-brainer, um, right? We're talking about we're talking about the mutilation of the genitals of little girls. Like it doesn't really seem like the the people who support this would have any argument. And with that, I guess we'll get into some of the the awkward stuff, because it does need to be discussed in order to understand what's going on in context. From what I understand, um, it was uh, it was a specific a specific Muslim sect that was engaging in this behavior in Michigan. Um, I know that it's it's largely immigrants from a, a variety of African countries and generally people of Muslim extraction in the Netherlands, where my family's originally from. Um, but these practices that are being imported to various places, I know Douglas Murray has written about this happening in the UK as well. Where is this generally coming from, first of all? And then secondarily, how do we, how do we respond to that? Uh, because 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does appear that, that political correctness has paralyzed the discussion occasionally because we're so reticent. Canada is a very multicultural country, right? And we have an understandable reticence often to criticize the cultural practices of others. And 99% of the time that works just fine. But then every once in a while you get something like this where it isn't and people don't seem to possess the language that they need to critique a cultural practice from a culture not their own when it needs to be condemned. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. One thing that I, I would point out is that female genital mutilation is a practice that predates all major religions. It's a cultural pra practice, as you said. It's something that has been handy for uh, patriarchal religions and, and societies to adapt to help to control the sexuality of women and girls, but it's not specifically a Muslim thing. And the the individuals in this case, as you as you said, are from the Dewudi Bora community, which is a Muslim sect from India. But I completely agree with you that political correctness has been a problem in fighting female genital mutilation. And on we've seen in some states here in the United States, we've seen great bipartisan support where lawmakers work together. For us, you've called it a no-brainer. This is the ultimate no-brainer. We're talking about protecting the most vulnerable of our society. We're talking about protecting little girls, and we don't think that this should be should be partisan at all. And we've seen in some states, Michigan, for example, after this case came to light, Michigan came together in a very bipartisan way to put in place the most comprehensive anti-female genital mutilation legislation that we have in the United States right now. But there are some states that are concerned that they're going to be seen, or some legislators within some states that are concerned that they'll be seen as anti-immigrant if they put in place laws that specifically ban female genital mutilation. And for us, that's incredibly frustrating because we're talking about protecting little girls who most often come from immigrant communities. We're not talking about doing something that's harmful to immigrant communities. What we want to do is protect these little girls. And I think that people are so afraid of looking like they are, they are racist, which is obviously wrong. And I think that we can agree on that, but yeah. they're, 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 so afraid of looking racist, they're afraid to take the steps that are needed to protect vulnerable little girls. And I think that that's shameful. Yeah, that's the, the, the joke that occasionally gets made about Canadian politeness, that sometimes we can be so polite we wouldn't wake up our neighbor if his house was on fire. Right there. Yeah. At, at a certain point. Uh, yeah, the idea that it would be anti-immigrant, but the, the point has to be made that these little girls are obviously immigrants as well. Um, so... That argument is, is sort of self-defeating. I guess one final question just to help our listeners understand this a little bit better. Um, I will admit that um, I was surprised, not shocked, but surprised at how much of this is happening in the U.S. So how, 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 how prevalent is this? Because you're going to get people who see this and say this must be just a tiny fringe case. Um, there, this can't be happening many places. But just how prevalent is this in, in Western countries? Uh, Western countries where, where we should be easily able to say this is barbaric and it has no place in a civilized society. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that there are 513,000 women and girls who are at risk of or who have undergone female genital mutilation in the United States. That estimate didn't even, when they were looking into this number, they didn't even look 
two communities in India. So the community in Michigan and in Illinois and in Minnesota that is part of this case wasn't even part of that count. And it's it's an estimate, but it's half a million, and that is a really big number. Yeah. In Canada, practitioners have been caught at the border coming in with their, their razor blades and tools in order to cut little girls in Canada. In Europe, half a million have been cut and 180,000 are at risk. There are really large numbers of individuals in the West who are affected by female genital mutilation. So what is your foundation uh, doing to stop this? And, and can you just let our listeners know where they can find your work? Thanks for asking. Our website is theahafoundation.org, and that's V-A-H-A foundation.org. And we are working directly with women and girls who are facing female genital mutilation or who have undergone female genital mutilation to help them find whatever kind of services and, and help they need, including counseling and legal help. We also work on a federal and state level to pass laws to protect women and girls from female genital mutilation in the United States. We also do trainings with professionals and teachers, any individual who's likely to encounter a survivor or an at-risk individual. And uh, that's it. That's, uh, that's the work that we do in a nutshell on, on trying to end female genital mutilation in the United States. Well, fantastic. And thank you so much for taking the time to explain this to us. Thank you so much for helping us raise awareness about this. It's something that's so important, and, and the more people know about it, the better chance we have of doing the work we need to do to end it. So I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Amanda Parker of the Ian Hersey Ali Foundation uh, coming to tell us about what happened uh, in Michigan uh, last week. Uh, and those of you who want to listen to previous shows, you can head over to SoundCloud and check out The Bridgehead. We're also on YouTube. We're on iTunes. Uh, and you can go to thebridgehead.ca to get almost daily uh, updates, daily columns. So our previous show that just went up actually is uh, is my recording of the, an evening with the Clintons that just happened in Toronto. So for political junkies, you might find some of that interesting. And my, my column on an evening with the Clintons was published in the National Review this week. So you can also check that out over there at nationalreview.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you join us again soon.